Check one, two, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Hello, 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 hi. Today on Blue 58, the Packers are ready to head back to the football field again, seemingly only hours after their loss to the Vikings. And what do we even make of this game? I'll tell you. I don't know. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another, another game. And it's happening quickly. Right after the Packers lost to the Vikings, seemingly. Here we are again doing another preview. And this is kind of an unusual preview. For starters, because it's for a Thursday night football game and we usually don't get those. Because it comes so close on the heels of the Vikings game, and because of, I guess, what's happened this week with both the 49ers and the Packers. So, like last time around, this is going to be less a preview and more just some stuff I want to talk through. Didn't really work out last time the way I thought it was going to, but this time it's going to be a little bit different because there's, well, it's not so much because we think the Packers are going to lay down or the 49ers are going to lay down or whatever. But just, I think these teams are more interesting than just a a normal straight-up preview is going to do for us. So I just want to talk through six or seven different things here and see what that does as far as setting us up for the game. First and foremost, the 49ers are really, really, really hurt they're in bad shape. As of Tuesday, the DNPs for practice that are probably not going to participate in the game because of, you know, it's Tuesday and the game is uh, on Thursday, were Tevin Coleman, Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle, Dante Pettis, keep, uh, keep that name in your mind, Debo Samuel, and Demetrius Flanagan Fowles. Now, I was pretty sure that at least five of those guys are real people. And I had to look up to make sure that Demetrian Flanagan Fowles was too. He is, as it turns out. Probably wasn't going to have a big impact on this game. But the rest of those guys are pretty significant contributors, other than Dante Pettis, who since that injury report came out has been released by the 49ers. I don't think that's a a big blow to them. But they are still hurting. On top of that, they recently traded linebacker Quan Alexander, who may or may not have played this week anyway due to injuries of his own. But that's another name off the list for the 49ers. Now, normally you'd say, hey, this team's really beat up, but the Packers should probably just take care of it anyway. We did just see that on Sunday, though. The Packers should have just taken care of business anyway. On top of that, that was basically the story the last time the 49ers and Packers played. Jimmy Garoppolo was injured. The Packers were heading into their bye week pretty well equipped and and should have been able to take care of business against the the 49ers, but instead, Packers were actually trailing in the fourth quarter. 
And without a timely blitz and interception by Mike Pettin's defense, would not even have had an opportunity to come back and win that game. C.J. Beathard put together what is probably the best game of his career that night in Green Bay. 16 of 23 passing, 245 yards, two touchdowns. And then that one interception where Kevin King makes an admittedly a very good play on an eight-man blitz late in the game. Overall, a pretty underwhelming defensive effort for the Packers. They gave up 400 yards and 30 points to the 49ers. But that's kind of been how the 49ers have done things under Kyle Shanahan. It doesn't really matter who's playing quarterback. It doesn't really matter who else they have. He finds a way to put together a game plan that gives opposing teams fits. And I've been thinking about that a lot this week because of the injuries that the, or that the 49ers have had, but specifically the injuries they have at quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo has been hurt, banged up for most of the season, but now is really the first time he's really looked like he's going to be out for a while. But in his place, Nick Mullins has completed more passes, well, completed passes more frequently. He's got a higher completion percentage. He's thrown interceptions less frequently and has a higher yards per attempt average. He's averaging more yards per game. His passer rating is better. He is taking ever so slightly more sacks. But the point is there's not a big drop-off here, and I think that is attributed in large part to Kyle Shanahan. So it's hard to just give this one to the Packers outright, especially given how they played on Sunday. And look, there were a lot of factors that went into that game on Sunday. The weather was a big one, obviously. And I don't think you can expect 40-mile-an-hour winds or whatever the temperature was on Sunday or on Thursday in San Francisco. But I would expect the 49ers to be pretty competitive, especially given how their defense tends to operate, especially how the Packers tend to operate if they don't get up right away on offense. This should be a pretty competitive game. On the Packers' side, it's been an interesting couple days here. As you may have heard, at the trade deadline, Brian Gutekunst and the Packers did not trade for Will Fuller. I would say about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, my time, in Ohio, swing state, Uh, in Ohio, it seemed like the deal was going to get done. It seemed like there was a good chance the Packers were going to trade for Will Fuller. But things either deteriorated down the stretch or never really were as close as it seemed. 30 minutes before the deadline, we threw out a poll And 70% of voters did not think the Packers would trade for Will Fuller. Apparently, the breakdown was both money and compensation. According to Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer, he says the Packers and Texans were talking about a trade, but the Packers wanted Houston to take back some of the money that Fuller was owed, and the sides couldn't agree on draft pick compensation. 
the Texans supposedly wanted a two for Fuller. For a rental, that seems like a lot in a vacuum. However, what's the hit rate on second-round wide receivers? On top of that, the Packers already showed what they think a second-round pick is worth, especially a late second-round pick. They think it's worth a running back who really doesn't contribute in the 2020 NFL. If you could have gotten an extension for Will Fuller, which I think is a good idea, especially if it comes down to an extension versus, like, I don't know, an Aaron Jones. If you're going to pay Aaron Jones $10 million a year next spring, I would rather spend that money on a wide receiver who has an elite skill set. Fuller seems like a wide receiver worth extending. He's 26, and he's probably going to be better than whatever second rounder you're getting if you draft a wide receiver next spring, short term especially. At the very least, it seems surprising that the Packers come out of the trade deadline season with nothing. Not even Will Fuller, but nothing. Brian Gutekunst has been telling us for months that he doesn't like the wide receivers they have. He wanted one in the spring, but the draft board fell really badly. They were trying to trade up for a receiver even in the second round, as late as the second round, but couldn't find a dance partner and couldn't get up as high as they needed to. The wide receivers they probably wanted, looking at the board, were Brandon Ayuk. We know we liked them, and he went a pick ahead of them to the 49ers. And Chase Claypool. And if I was doing it again and I'm the GM of the Packers, I'd probably just sit at 30 and take Chase Claypool. He also signed Devin Funches, and now he went after Will Fuller. Supposedly, the Packers' interest in Fuller extends back to the summer. Like they've wanted him since since training camp. The Packers have been poking around at other wide receivers for quite a while. They liked Robbie Anderson in the spring. They apparently were interested in trading for him at the trade deadline last year. And then all the stuff with the draft and Fuller. So why haven't they gotten a deal done. Zach Cruz of the Packers Wire described it as taking a lot of swings but never connecting, and I would gently push back on that. Packers haven't really taken a swing at a receiver, not since 2018. That year they were in on Allen Robinson. He decided to sign with the Bears for a comparable deal, apparently, to what the Packers were offering him. Then they drafted the three wide receivers, and that's pretty much been it. It's great that they signed Devin Funches, but he's not playing this year. And not having a contingency plan for that is kind of an indictment of the GM. So here we sit. The Packers know they need a receiver, and they were in talks to get one, and they didn't get one. Pat McAfee had an interesting take on the entire scenario here. On his show, he was kind of doing a live talk through the trade deadline Tuesday afternoon. And he thinks it boils down to the Packers not having one person to just go, let's do this thing. Take a listen. Like, I think if your team is in it, I think there's a lot of owners that would be like, hey, let's go and win this thing. And at this moment, 
I think that is potentially a problem for Green Bay, that you don't have one family, you don't have one lady, one man to go in there and say, um, let's go ahead and just make this jump and go for it. Now you got to, well, we got our stockholders or whatever and all that. It's just a very interesting, It's because why wouldn't you just go? Just go. You got the guy. You got a guy that can do it. You got a team that has shown that they can do it. Just a little bit of help. Why not? Is that what? Is that not what we're playing for here in the NFL? Is that the one reason the Packers didn't trade for somebody at the deadline? I don't think so. But I think it does affect their culture at least a little bit. And I think if you look at Mark Murphy's background, you can see some of his previous employment kind of coming through. Mark Murphy's a former athletic director. And what do you do as an athletic director? You strive for stability, you fundraise, you try to build a program. You want to be as good as you can be in every sport across the board. And you don't want any area of your program to be dragging you down. You never really have to be in win-now mode because there's really no such thing as win-now mode in college sports unless you're one of a handful of teams you're not really competing for championships on a year-in, year-out basis. Unless you're Alabama, Clemson, in college football, Ohio State, Michigan would like to think so. Um, you know what I'm saying. There's a few teams in football and basketball that are going to be competitive year-in and year-out. Unless you're one of those teams, you're just trying to keep the money coming in. I don't know if that's Murphy's goal, But it seems like that's how the Packers kind of operate a little bit. Bill Belichick had some interesting words, and I don't think I have audio on this. Well, I know I don't. I don't have the audio on this. But paraphrasing his quote, somebody asked him kind of why the, the Patriots weren't making more moves, and he basically said, we're up against the, we're up against the cap. We've spent, or we spent the last four or five years that Tom Brady was here, jamming the window open as wide as we could, just trying to get a championship. And we got to a a few Super Bowls and won three of them. The Packers have never seemed to be actively trying to expand the window. Both with Brett Favre and with Aaron Rodgers, it's kind of just seemed like we're going to try to be competitive every year and then we're going to get in the playoffs and see what happens. And that's not necessarily the worst approach, But they've also never tried to seemingly tilt the scale in their favor. And I was thinking back to a discussion we had a couple episodes ago. A listener asked, why don't the Packers ever go all in? And I don't think, I still don't think going all in is something you really do in the NFL. But it's never seemed like the Packers have tried to maximize any one year either. I think there's a difference between really trying to tilt the scales and trying to to maximize your opportunities. And I think it's fair to say that the Packers haven't maximized their opportunities, especially this year at the trade deadline. It doesn't even have to be Will Fuller. It could have been Kenny Stills. It could have been Michael Gallup. It could have been Brashad Perriman. It could have been, if he hadn't opted out for the season, Taylor Gabriel, who you wouldn't even have had to trade for. Would have given you something different at receiver. But instead, you stand pat with Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, and a couple other guys who don't really look like they belong in the NFL. 
So where does that leave us? Well, as we've said a couple times over the last couple of shows, but definitively now, the Packers are a finished product. This is it. This is the team we've got. The Packers' fortunes this year are going to rise and fall based on the players, essentially, that they had in July. And in a year where it doesn't seem like there's a super elite team in the NFC, that may not be the worst thing in the world. If you get in and get good matchups, you can still make a run here. And yet it is still frustrating that the Packers saw the holes on their roster, acknowledged that they were holes, and then just said, how are you going to do? I don't know. This team is finished. And I don't mean like done, like they're not going to go anywhere else. I mean, they are finished becoming the team that they are going to be. Alan Lazard's going to come back healthy. And that's it. That's the only addition you're getting on offense. Sure, David Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones will get healthy too. They haven't been out quite as long as Lazard has. And quite frankly, with the the way the offensive line is played, and with what we know about running backs, they are not at this point needed as much as Alan Lazard is. On defense, Christian Kirksey will come back. Kamal Martin's going to get healthy hopefully, get cleared from close contact stuff. And they'll have the linebackers they want. Maybe not the linebackers they need, but they'll have the ones they want. On the defensive line, it is what it is. So unless the Packers play better, or, I don't know, find some miraculous other way to add talent, this is going to be it. And that leads me kind of back to where they started this season. This game we're about to see Thursday night is more about the Packers than it is about the 49ers. This is how we opened the previews for the first two or three shows this year. We don't know who the Packers are. We don't know what they're going to do, so on and so forth. You know know what I'm saying. But now, it's more about the Packers in the way that We have to see how the Packers are going to respond from here on out, just being the team that they are, as teams become more and more familiar with what the Packers are and what they can do. The Packers are a finished product, so we pretty much know what to expect from them, and it's whether or not they can execute as that product. The 49ers, on the other hand, are very much in flux due to the injury situation. But we also know that the 49ers can cobble together a group of practice squad veterans and basically a preseason roster and give people trouble. So how will the Packers respond to that? It's an interesting question considering where public opinion on Mike Pettin has been this week. And because of when this game fell, falls, we don't have polling data yet for this week. But it's going to be interesting to see what people think of Mike Pettin. Can he go lower than 8.6% approval rating? I think he can. And where is Brian Gutekunst's approval rating going to be? That'll be interesting. 
But there is a very real possibility that Mike Pettin is coaching for his job. And if he is, I wonder if simple is the way forward for him and the Packers. A few weeks back, Richard Sherman was on Chris Collinsworth podcasts for Pro Football Focus. Collinsworth, of course, an owner, the owner of Pro Football Focus, though he never discloses that when he brings up all of their data and how great it is and how you can also purchase that data on Sunday Night Football broadcasts, but that's an entirely different issue. But Sherman was talking about Cowboys defensive coordinator Mike Nolan. And whenever Sherman talks about stuff like this, talks about scheme, matchups, technique, I'm always very interested. Because Mike uh, Mike Sherman, Richard Sherman, is a very interesting guy. The on-field persona of Richard Sherman is, I admit, a little bit grating for me. I would love it if he was on the Packers, but as an opposing player, partly because of the success he's had against the Packers, he's a bit much for me. However, his off-the-field stuff is fascinating. It's thoughtful. It's reflective. It's insightful. He's clearly a very smart guy, and he knows a heck of a lot more about NFL defenses than I do. And so Collinsworth asked him what the deal was with the Cowboys' defense. And Sherman's answer was very interesting. And it sounds a lot like stuff that could be happening in Green Bay. Take a listen. Scheme is so complicated. Like, it's so it's so variable. You know what I mean? It's so diverse. And people think that that means good defense, and it doesn't. You know, you don't have a foundation. You don't have an identity. So you have nothing to fall back on. So when things aren't going great, it's not like you have, hey, we can put the fire out with this. We're going to run this until we get things under control. It's just like a patchwork of, hey, we're going to keep throwing things at the wall and see what sticks. And when, when you have that as a player, then you're like, okay, so you don't even know how we're getting attacked. Are we getting attacked as a cover two defense, a, a man-to-man defense, a quarters defense, a cover three defense? Like how are they, atta- they attacking us because we're in so much nonsense? No, I'm not a tape grinder. And I wouldn't claim to be as familiar with what Petten is doing schematically as some other people. But I think there's at least a chance that he's trying to do too much. The play that sticks in my mind is Preston Smith split out wide against a tight end, covering him in space like a cornerback on Sunday. And that may not be an issue of complexity, but if you've gotten to that point, it seems like something has gone wrong. Right, I don't think you have to be hugely familiar with the scheme to say Preston Smith doesn't seem like he has the skill set to line up in press man coverage against a tight end split out wide. Well, it's man-to-man coverage. That's his man. Yeah, I guess. But there are other solutions there. The defense reminded me of something that you see in in movies sometimes and, and when people try to explain away stuff in bad movies. Well, you know, that's that's just where the plot went. Yeah, but somebody sat down and mapped out that plot, and they could have gone a different direction. What if you went as a defensive coordinator in a direction that, I don't know, say didn't have Preston Smith covering guys man-to-man down the field? Just a thought. The Packers clearly have talent on defense. 
They've got a few high-priced free agents. They've got a bunch of first-round picks. They've got a bunch of mid-round picks or other early picks that aren't first-rounders. And unless Rashawn Gary, Kevin King, Montrevious Adams, Darnell Savage, I'm missing anybody who's a, who else is a high draft pick? Doesn't really matter. The point is, unless all of those guys are absolute bums, which is a possibility, but not super likely, you should be able to get more out of them than the Packers are. Unless Preston Smith has completely forgotten how to play football, you should be able to find something more for him to do. The Packers have some flaws on defense, no doubt, but it still seems like they are less than the sum of their parts. And Pettin, if he is coaching for his job, might just want to let those parts do what they do best on Thursday. The last thing I'll talk about is this. The Packers are in a very interesting situation with their running backs right now. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I would have to go back to 2012 in the preseason for a situation where the Packers have been as banged up at running back as they are now. Aaron Jones looks pretty unlikely for Thursday night with his calf injury. A.J. Dillon is out for sure with the virus. Jamal Williams could theoretically come back. It seems pretty unlikely at this point. That leaves the Packers right now with Tyler Irvin and Dexter Williams, should they, and they probably will, elevate him from the practice squad. It's not great. I'm not a big Dexter Williams fan. He's a nice athlete. He seems to struggle to read his blocking. Tyler Irvin is more of a receiver than a running back at this point. Really, if you want to say what he practically really is, he's basically just a a running back who runs sideways. And that's it at running back. So what do the Packers do? They're a run-based team. Well, not really. I think you just stick with the motion stuff that you've been doing. I think you just stick with, you know, Dexter Williams as a traditional back and have Tyler Irvin run run sideways a whole bunch and do all the motion and the window dressing and all that and only run when you absolutely have to. Other than that, throw it 50 times. Throw it 60 times if you have to. It's more efficient. And even with the Packers' diminished playmakers, heck, I think that's probably their way to victory. And for crying out loud, go down the field. Don't just say, we're going to sit back and dink and dunk like the Packers have tried to do when things have not gone super well for them on offense. Go down the field, sling it however you have to, and get this win in San Francisco. That's all I've got for you in this episode. Do appreciate you listening in. Hope you were able to get out and vote. Uh, We're all going to get through this together. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with somebody you think who would benefit from it. And uh, we'll just continue to grow this conversation we're having around the Packers because ultimately that's going to be how we help everybody become smarter Packers fans. That is the goal. Having that conversation together is what's going to get us there. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.